If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the Rovers Academy podcast. Um, I've got another special guest with me today. We've been inundated with quality guests and, and this is going to be no different. We've got Jonathan Faduba here. Um, we were joking off air about you were, have that many hats that I didn't know how to introduce you. So what we have, football media mogul and um, presenter of Nordic Pod and you know founder of uh, Pro Football. Go on, tell us Basically, tell us who you are and why people should listen to you about academy stuff that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, thanks a lot for the uh, introduction. Yeah, I need to sort of maybe work on my, uh, you know, like getting some concise description or something because it seems like uh, too many hats to be on me now. Yeah, I need an official title somewhere. So, um, yeah, no, thanks a lot. Obviously, um, I'd probably describe myself in a moment as um, probably the uh, co founder of Future Global Sports, which is a kind of like a consultancy which works with obviously players mainly semi-professional um, moving into the pro game and also um, recently founded obviously the PL2 report which we did released uh, in the summer just gone uh, and that's obviously partly probably why you're inviting me on the show to talk yeah. about academy football um, so yeah of course my background is in media so I, f- I founded Just Football which is a, a long-standing blog and and I also cover um, the Scandinavian leagues through the Nordic Football Podcast so yeah a little bit long-winded dabbling in little different areas um, but obviously, ultimately, the passion, passion is football, and um, and and yeah. So to give a little bit more background, we we founded the we created the PL2 Talent ID report, uh, which came out in May uh, of this year, just gone 2021. So um, that had a lot of interest from clubs and that kind of thing because we basically monitored and tracked every every single player at academy level, um, at PL2 level to under 23s level, and watched every single player and basically gave a rating of the players and that kind of thing and and the value of that was for players uh, sorry for clubs maybe or commercial partners as well but mainly for clubs who maybe wanted to purchase the report to help them with their scouting to sort of turbocharge their scouting um and help them kind of identify players maybe getting released from academies you know if it's maybe say national league club looking for players coming out of the academy or for example professional clubs looking for players that might slip through the cracks or, or even uh, people abroad like in Scandinavia places like that so yeah that's the I suppose long and short answer of it but uh, now I'm looking forward to talking about youth football and um, with you today and hopefully it can be an interesting conversation. Yeah absolutely I think you've kind of yeah you've summed it up in that answer there why exactly I've asked you to come on and and why people should be fascinated by what you've got to say um it often so this is the first time really we've had an outsider on the academy podcast and often it's very easy to get wrapped up in your own academy and your own players and, and think right we've got some amazing talent here so it's going to be interesting to be able to talk about our talent but also the rest of the talent that's out there in the league um Obviously, we're speaking here on a Wednesday night and, you know, Premier League action is on. Do you watch a lot of, like, top-level football as well? Am I keeping you from anything at the moment? Uh, well, Burnley-Watford was called off, so, yeah, not, you know, I know that. fans wouldn't want to watch Don't even pretend so you were going to watch <laughs> Burnley-Watford. No, you, you didn't really keep me from anything. I mean, obviously, my main two areas that I cover probably at the moment um, are Scandinavian football and youth football and non-league football essentially well three areas um so i watch a lot of premier league obviously and, and i try and watch efl when i can but i would say if you were trying to find me on a saturday i'd either be a kind of a youth game or a, or a non-league game essentially um obviously we have clients who work who play in professional and semi-professional levels so you know either working watching them or um looking for new players kind of thing helping clubs as well scouting that kind of thing so so yeah i, I mean i obviously i love the premier league but um to be honest, I don't watch, I don't watch it as much as I probably used to. 
So yeah, I think, absolutely. You've yeah. got you, you've got your fingers in other pies, and it's important to keep on top of those because the coverage of those areas, I suppose, isn't as wide as. I mean, you could just look on anything, and you get Premier League highlights or you get yeah. Premier League news. So, yeah, certainly understand that. What was the last game you went to? Then, where where have you been out recently? Most recent game I went to was Colchester United under eighteen. Oh yeah, I messaged you about this. Like, so, what yeah, happened you there? <laughs> Uh, incredible to be honest because Colchester is my hometown team so um, beat Arsenal 3-0 uh, in the Youth Cup was um, unbelievable to be honest um, well yeah what happened there really I, I don't know I mean for the town it was a massive thing because obviously Colchester League 2 they were in a championship many years ago but not really you know not really a big club at all um, but the academy is a decent academy for the level um, some quite good investments gone into it they've got a kind of plan to try and bring through young players and it's had a fairly le- a decent degree of success um so to beat arsenal 3-0 was just just incredible I, I think the main my main takeaway from that was arsenal were, weren't great i'll be honest um i don't know if it was just on the day or that particular crop that's obviously maybe a discussion for another time but um they were really disappointing it wasn't it wasn't like unjust they they kind of there was a lot of players that came in with hype um like so charlie patino and amari hutchison who maybe we'll talk about on this show but um to be honest, like a lot of that category now, that's the last chance they'll have in the Youth Cup. And to get knocked out by Colchester, you know, um, when you're a Cat One Academy, one of the biggest clubs in England was a, a huge shock, to be honest. So, um, yeah, a lot of, it kind of caused a lot of ripples through through the youth football world, I think, to be honest. And, uh, sure did. I, I spoke to Jay Haddor, who's one of our uh, under-18 right-backs. He, he did a podcast, it might be out just before this one, and... Um, he said about obviously they saw so Blackburn Rovers at under 18s beat Birmingham to progress through to the fourth round. And um, Jay mentioned about Arsenal being one of their biggest rivals through the age groups and the national competitions. And then obviously, when I said that they've been knocked out, he already knew and he had this big smile come off his face. So, obviously, it's quite a popular result for the rest of the competition. Yeah. Um, and we'll see, we'll see what happens with Colchester in the next round. Hopefully, they go on a bit of a run that'd be quite exciting for the club. I imagine, yeah, got Newcastle, so you never know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and Blackburn have got Stoke for, for any Blackburn fans who are watching. Um, yeah, Stoke City in the next round, so that'll be an interesting one. Okay, let's. Dig into PL2 then. You you obviously talked about the PL2 report. It's kind of your bread and butter in a way. You, you know all about this league. Um, I just wanted to start with a general kind of synopsis of the league itself for those who maybe aren't as aware of it as, as others. Um, it's ostensibly an under-23s league, although we often see a lot of younger players playing it as well. Um, it was brought into existence kind of in line with FFP. FFP. Yeah, have I said that right? No, no, P, sorry. Um, I'm getting all my acronyms mixed up. Um, in 2012, I think it was, 2012-13, I think was the first season of PL2. So, you know, what do you think of it as a league? Is it doing a good job in, in its purpose? Yeah, it's a good question. And I suppose it depends what you consider the purpose to be. And I think that's one thing that you you realise when you're doing the report, it, it really varies from, from club to club, how, how seriously they take it. You know, obviously you've got, more than I think 20 teams, 23 teams in it. Uh, it depends, obviously, if you if you count the second, you know, there's different tiers as well. Um, so you know, you, you've got all the major clubs basically involved with it pretty much. So, what you notice is that each club has their own different, uh, you know, uh, ideas. You know, th- there's that famous stat that you know, 180 players out of 1.5 million at youth level, um, will make it to the Premier League, and it just shows you the percentages are so so small and the, you know, the margins are so so fine. and of course, at academy level, from the club's point of view, the, their aim is to maybe find that one or two players that, that's going to either go into the first team or when you look at models like, for example, Chelsea, you know, the model is there to just create talents that you can then sell off. And, and so it's a self-funding strategy and, and it kind of can help finance the club in some ways and finance the academy itself. So every club's got a slightly different target. I mean, if you look at Blackburn um, as a good example, a stat that uh, I found really whilst we were putting this report together that I have to I'm gonna have to drop it on this show because um I found it really incredible was that like Blackburn has had 550 straight games in the, with an academy graduate in the squad in the last decade um so yeah that to me I mean that was that was what we did the report in June so I'm sure it probably is more now and um yeah to me that's an incredible you know testament to the club and what the aim of the club is which is to obviously find people within the catchment area of, of that of that region and bring them into the academy and actually get them into the first team. 
And if you look at the first team, there's there's players that have played several games in, in first team who've come from that academy. So I think every club's different in their aims of it. But what, what we've noticed when doing the report, there's some clubs who are good at it and some clubs who aren't so good at it. And and really, what you know, as a, as a company, from that point of view, we're looking to try and reduce the wastage, if you know what I mean, because you get a lot of players who come out of academy levels. And, you know, we've been, since the season started, obviously a lot of players that have been released. If you, if you went through a list of released players and see where they are, it's, it's, it's crazy. You've got players at Bamba, Bamba Bridge. You've got players in Croatia. You've got players at Mikulova Sports. You've got players all over the place. So um, it's a wide, you know, it's really wide where players end up from maybe you get released from academy, go to another academy um, or, you know, you, you fall out of the game completely. So that's the difficulty of it as a player. And as a club, it's just how do you make sure that you're doing a good job for those players um, in, in, in different areas? Yeah, definitely. If you listen to the Stuart Jones podcast that was released in December, um, you'll find out, because I asked him that question, like, what do you do for players that don't get a yes at the end of the scholarship, especially, or even like the first pro contract or a second pro contract? Some of them are still playing in the under-23s with a pro contract. And um, like I say, it's the wastage that concerns me quite a lot. Um even though Blackburn have been successful in getting players through the academy systems into their youth team, and we've got five um, regular first team players who have come through that way, um, that's still only five out of a you know a Premier League under twenty three squad of like eighteen, nineteen, twenty. So, you know, you've mentioned already there about where they kind of end up. Is is there more to be done for these players to get them back into the pro game, even if it's not with the club that they originally were with? Yeah, and that's kind of what we what we do, you know, um, on a daily basis. That's kind of my, my role is to try and find those players that come out of it and and, and try and help them back into the game. Um, the big, biggest success success story that we've had in that sense was um, Solba Thomas, obviously, uh, who was released by West Ham at fifteen and is you know came out went to Boreham Wood, and he's now obviously playing in um, in the Championship at Huddersfield as a Wales international, and and that that's just one example of players that can fall out of it for whatever reason and get back into it. If you look at the players that have been released from from Blackburn in, in in recent times, obviously you've got Lewis Thompson and, and Joe Grayson. Both of them have found their way back into the into the league actually, and actually still playing professional football, which is which is a, a good testament to the fact that you know maybe there's a pathway for Blackburn players even if it's not there. And and I do think that's an interesting question. I don't have any um, statistical evidence to back it up, but between North and South, you know, is it is it um, easier as a Northern player when you get released to find clubs because those two players in particular went to Barrow and, and Scunthorpe, and you you want you know the, the number of professional clubs in that in that catchment area. You've got obviously Bolton, um, you've got many clubs in the Greater Manchester area, obviously Preston. You've got other clubs in that in that region. Whereas when you look down south, sometimes um, you wonder is there is that pathway there as, as is it as is it as useful that that there? Um, two examples maybe from the south, for example, Crystal Palace. That you know they've just recently been upgraded to Cat One status. But a lot of their players get released and maybe don't necessarily still stay in the game necessarily. Um, and, and there's other clubs as well you can name. I mean, there was one example at uh, Spurs. Uh, there's a player called Keenan Ferguson, I believe, who is a right back. Um, he didn't rank hugely well on our report, but he's now at Boston United, which is a, quite weird going up, up you know, further up north. But it's just an example of kind of, um, there's another player who I, I, I see quite regularly because I watch Potter's Bar a bit because we, we have a player there called... Um, uh, Kaziah Sterling, who obviously he was at Spurs and quite a lot of people will know him because he, he played in Scotland. I think he was on, on loan at Sunderland and he's now at Potter's Bar Town in step three of non-league. So, mm. you know, you do wonder sometimes where's that pathway? How does that happen? And and that's something that interests me, figuring that out. And and yeah, as a job, our role is to try and in some way help that, you know, by help making that transition smoother for players so that they can have careers. Yeah. Oh, I mean, this is a topic that we could, I think we could probably talk about for a long time. Uh, there's obviously, there's a lot. I mean, on the face of it, in terms of like kind of world football, you know, England seems to be the place to be is 92 professional clubs in the league system, plus all the professional clubs that are in, you know, National League and even National League North and South have got professional clubs these days. So there's a lot of people, a lot of clubs there in a very small country, although, you know, well populated that, you know, you would think that if you're a footballer, you've got a great chance, but there's supply and demand has always been a bit of a problem. And yeah. Uh, trying to get league clubs that are obviously fighting for their lives every week, trying to win football matches and climb the ladder. 
um, trying to get them to take on these young young players obviously is is a challenge. Well, maybe we will return to what you do in terms of like maybe Scandinavia and stuff like that if we've got time. But sticking to PL two for now, um, let's just have a look at kind of a brief assessment of of how the league looks in, in 21-22. We've got West Ham at the top of it. Um, 31 points from 14 games, having an exceptional season, West Ham under 23s. And then uh, Spurs, Arsenal, Man City, Brighton, Crystal Palace, Man United, and all the way down at the bottom in 14th at the moment is Blackburn under 23s, with only 11 points from 14 games. It's a bit of a fall from grace for the for Blackburn under 23s, who were fighting Man City for the title last season for most of the of the of the league season. So we'll we'll get on to Blackburn specifically later, but let's just take a look at it, the league as it is at the moment. Um with West Ham Spurs and Arsenal being up there, do you think there's you know a bit of a, a London bias to it at the moment? And if so, then then why might that be? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I think I think it's I think I'm not sure it's entirely productive looking at league tables at that level if you really want to try and derive like the success of a of a, an academy or a club um because as i say they've got different aims and they've got different strategies you know you, you'll know more than me about blackburn and and so I, i'm interested to even hear your theories about why that is but um when you look at it ultimately you've got to you've got to bear in mind various factors you know how, how many of the players at that academy are out on loan for example you know you've got if you, you don't necessarily look at blackburn squad and you can see there's some some decent players out uh out on loan um the same with other clubs and so it's hard to really look at the table and just come up with a, a conclusion but um yeah of course so i, th I think it is quite cyclical in, in that sense but it can obviously be a good indicator of, of, of players coming through i mean you mentioned arsenal there as an example but when you look at them Obviously, they had that we talked about their their problem at, at, in the Youth Cup. But you've got players like, for example, Folar and Balogun, who's been incredible this season at, at PL2 level. Um, but really, there's a lot of interest from him from clubs, top-level clubs abroad, for example, in the Bundesliga. So you, you think to yourself, is he has he sort of surpassed PL2 level? And, and what does that say about the club itself, if you know what I mean? Like what And, and not necessarily the player, but... And, you know, I'm not saying that as a criticism of the club, but just... Should he really be playing at PL two level? You know what I mean, or has he, has he excelled it? And, and maybe that maybe the pathway is just not there for him. And, it, and at this moment in time, if you take him as, as an example, it isn't because you've got you've got Nketiah ahead of him. You've got obviously Obama, Obama Yang. Don't know how long that'll be for, but obviously <laughs> he's in front of him, Lacazette. So Balogun's kind of playing PL two football just purely because kind of there's not much else for him at this moment in time, short of a loan. Um, so you you kind of have to approach it in a you know, you have to look at it from that point of view, really, and, and what's the aim of it? You know, if you look at Blackburn, for example, you've had players who, who've gone into this team, like Rankin Costello, who's he's played some games in PL2, but obviously because of injury, then come back into the squad. So, and when you assess it as well, sometimes you, you're bearing that in mind. You've got Sometimes you've got players who are just getting minutes for the first time from the under-18s, maybe. You've got players who are coming back from injury. So that can affect the results. And so, you know, I wouldn't say you can draw a huge amount of conclusions from it, but... Um, I don't know. You tell me what what would be your theory about why you know why Blackburn aren't doing so well this season. Yeah, I think what you say is spot on. To be honest, though. and this is a kind of a point that I want to make to to the fans who listen to this is that you can. It's easy to look at a, a kind of an under twenty three or an even under eighteen so you We'll move on to the eighteens later and look at this, the positions and go. Well, we've not got very good players coming through here, um, and that's just not the case in in Blackburn's case. Um, yeah. I think, you know, I listened to Stuart Jones talk about it and basically his aim for the under-23s at the moment is to reduce the age of that team. So he wants the under-18s to basically be the under-23s and the under-18s, you know, to be led by first-year scholars and some under-16 players. So the amount of, of teams in that PL2 that you see so many second-year scholars and even some first-year ones. Um, and, you know, it's all about individual development, not about team development necessarily we're not trying to create winning teams we're trying to create professional footballers so in Blackburn's specific case um we've had you know you mentioned Lewis Thompson already people like Stefan Molls um people that have played a lot Louis Annesley's out on loan at the moment he he was the leader of that team really so he's not playing very much on 23 football and you know some of them have moved into the first team on, to be on the bench. Dan Butterworth's obviously not played very much on the 23 football. He's played a couple of games, but if these players were still in that side, then they wouldn't be where they are right now. But I think what's going to be important for that 
particular team going forward is that, yes, they could try and battle against relegation. And that's a growth experience going through these games where they're feeling pressure and they want to do well and they want to get out of the relegation zone to drop, avoid dropping into the next tier. And either they succeed at that or they don't. Either way, you're learning something about yourself as an individual. And then the following season, when we've got all of our current successful under-18s in the team and they're winning games in that lower tier because you know, the academies aren't quite as good as the ones that we're playing against at the moment, then they're going to get a growth experience out of that and possibly confidence from winning games. So it's not the be-all and end-all to not be in the relegation zone of PL2 upper tier. Um, and I don't think that Blackburn Rovers fans should be upset by the change. It's just different circumstances, different players, different journeys. Um, and that's the way that I, I see it. Um Hopefully that answers the question, but I'll go back to answering, asking my questions, Mr. Guest, who's just come on. Um, <laughs> no, it's interesting. Uh, I just, it's, it's useful to sort of get you. No, definitely. Opinion. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. And we'll talk about some individuals now. You've already mentioned Balogun there. And I agree. Like he's, this has been a waste of time for him. This, this first half of the season, so many pl- like teams interested in him on loan. As you said, Bundesliga interest as well. And, you know, he's got a, I'm sure he will move somewhere in January and get first team football and, and hopefully improve his development. Has there been anybody else in the league that's caught your eye um, as someone who looks at players in this division? Uh, I mean, yeah, there's, well, you know, I could I could sit here for ages and, and talk about players that, that, that catch the eye. Um, Obviously, I think I think when you look at it from Blackburn's point of view, you know the, the thing you, I suppose you don't want is when you're losing games quite, in, quite heavily. Obviously, the Manchester United game, most recently four 0 and, and there was a six 0 I believe as well, at one point. So yeah. that's probably when you don't want it to have a you know too much of an impact on players when you if you're too much out of form, and then maybe then that's when you need to sort of tweak it and think, okay, do we need a bit more experience maybe in, in that side? You know, if we're exposing under 18s or players who maybe aren't ready for it, you know, that maybe is when it's worth a, a conversation. Um, but no, I mean, there's there's plenty of, of of top players. You know, I think I think Shola Shortiere at Manchester United is a, is, a, is a top player at, at that level. Anthony Alanga, obviously, he's been in and out of you know the 23s. Um, Manchester United, have, you know, obviously one of the best academies, you know, in, in the country, if not the best. Down south, obviously, you've got Chelsea. One thing that's been interesting about Chelsea this season is they're not as you know they've, they've let quite a few players go. So you've obviously had Daniel Simeo who's gone to Southampton. Um, you've seen that Tina Levermento has gone into a first team environment at Southampton. So, you know, Chelsea's academy is maybe not as, I mean, it's still ext- extremely strong, but maybe there's, a, you know, a lot of the players that you thought they're really ready for first team football have gone on to get it. Tarek Lamptey, of course, you know, so over the last eight year, 18 months, we've seen so much, uh, some of those players leave Chelsea. Um, I mentioned Arsenal, of course, I think a player that I, I, I'm quite excited by is Amari Hutchison. I think he's a, he's a good talent. Um, he was a stand-up player on the pitch in that Youth Cup game for the first half, but um, a lot of people talk about Charlie Patino, you know, and you know, I leave my own opinions on him, but a lot of people talk about him and think he's a really, you know, good prospect. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of decent players. Obviously, we can talk about Blackburn as well in a minute in terms of their prospects as well. So I'll say, save that one. But um, generally speaking, I think the the key is making sure that their players are getting a good level of experience at that level, and then when maybe they're ready to move on on loan the pathway is not blocked for them, whether it's on loan or move to the next level. And I think, you know, I mentioned Balogun there, that's, it becomes a bit of friction there when there's no real pathway for you and you start wondering what, you know, where am I, where's my natural place here? And I think that's when it becomes a, maybe a potential issue, but um, no, there's, there's so much talent at that level, at youth level. And, and what, one thing I just finally comment on that is that you, we've seen that in um, the amount of clubs abroad who, who are now looking at the PL2. You know, it's now and, and and academy football in England in general is now like a a recruitment market. You know, we we've seen Bayern Munich try to get obviously Callum Hudson Odoi a few years ago. You know, there's the story of Jude Bellingham is well known. So a lot of clubs now, um, top clubs are looking at the PL2 and looking at youth football in England and who who they can maybe poach from these clubs at sort of 16, 17, 18 and, and develop and go on. So it's uh yeah, it's a it's a market that a lot of foreign teams are interested in. I was going to say this question for later, but I'm going to bring it in now as someone who obviously kind of looks at these markets as well. Um, I've been writing a series for Analytics FC on, on Brexit ball, um, as we've dubbed it. Basically, the GBE rules that are kind of almost designed to 
almost restrict the number of foreign players that come into the country and they have to pass a certain criteria to get in. Um, I was thinking about this on uh, the other way around. There's obviously these foreign clubs looking at the young talent and we'll, and we'll come on to why we've improved at that later. But is there any blockage coming the other way? Are we struggling to get young English players out into Europe more than we did you know, before the Brexit rules came into play? I think that I think on on balance, I mean this Brexit Brexit you could have a you know you could have a conversation about about this all day. I, I did a I did an hour special for the Guardian on this and kind of like that's you know we, we could have even talked for another two hours after that. It's, it's so complex and there's so many nuances to it. I mean what I've noticed is obviously at, at lower levels it's now almost impossible to to move players maybe out out abroad because of like work permit requirements things like that. You now you need a certain level of it depends what country it is, obviously, but some in some countries, for example, European countries, the player needs to be on a certain salary before they yeah. can, which is level with the first team, before so, they can get a work permit. Yeah, I've looked um, at, obviously, you know about Nordic football as well. I was looking at Denmark and Sweden recently for a player, um, unnamed. I'll speak to you about that player offer if you like. Um, but I was noticing that you basically you have to have a salary, you know, that's in, you have to have a contract offer from a top division club that is worth you know, a decent amount of money per, per week, which, you know, oh, sorry, per, per, per year, um, which is very difficult to get if you're going to be a, a, a former PL2 player. You know, you need to be, you know, of a certain standard. I think um, Josh Hobbs, who, again, both, both of us know quite well, um, is, you know, quite looking into to Holland. And he, he was saying to me that similar there as well. So is, is that what you mean? It's like it's difficult to kind of get these young players out there. Yeah, because basically, if they're not going to go into your first team environment and be like a dominant player, then it's kind of well, what's the point of it? Whereas, you know, this time eighteen months ago, you or I can just pick up our passport and go and live abroad, and there's no no questions asked. Doesn't nothing else matters. You know, from the Scandinavian point of view, we've we've had that even experienced it where players, uh, you know, have been on the brink of move to to maybe second division in Sweden or something like that, and then the, because of the Brexit complications, it, it made it made a, a different conversation. So. Um, it has impacted it to a certain extent. Obviously, for top clubs, it's, it's not it's not as big as a big of an issue. So you know, you mentioned someone like Balogun, they're going to they're going to move to a Leverkusen or someone like that. Then it's, it's still doable. You know, Demare Gray, obviously, who moved abroad, and there's been players who moved abroad, and that will still continue, I think, because um, they, there's ways around it. Coming into the country, what obviously we've seen in the year that since it's happened is the exemptions panel has been pretty pretty lenient, to be honest. So there's been a lot of cases right. where players might not have actually got work permits based on their criteria, you know, on playing and what club they're at and the level of the club, the tiers, but they've been given exemptions. Uh, I think Christopher Klaassen was Klaassen. an example of that here at Leeds. Uh, and there's been other examples of that. So I do wonder where it all, I do wonder how long this will be sustainable because I, I do think in the, I'm not entirely sure it will, how much longer it will last, if that makes sense, or if they'll change the exemptions and make it a bit more strict. But I guess if you're looking at it from for English talent in in this country, sort of looking for opportunities at academy level, probably makes it easier for them. But then the question you have to ask is, does it make it better for them in the long term? Because are they playing with players? Are they playing with players who are as good? So it really depends on your on your outlook on it. I'm pretty optimistic about it because I think if it's going to help younger English players come through, then that's just the way it is. But I think at the same time, it's it's maybe a shame, but. The last thing that I want from my point of view is kind of players to just be hauled around for no reason, you know what I mean? So if there's some sort of uh, placeholder in place where you have to be of a certain quality to come to the to come to this you know country or to leave the country, then maybe you can argue that's fair enough. Um, but I think that's more from a kind of well well-being and sort of you know child child welfare kind of angle that I'm looking at from rather than necessarily quality, but um, yeah, it's a long debate that we could have. We, yeah, and we've seen things in the past where where child where where clubs have been charged for for things you know poaching youngsters too too soon really and, and and the results of those and English clubs have been guilty of that as well as you know Real Madrid Barcelona other other things that have, have happened and gone through the courts. So there's definitely pluses and minuses in Blackburn's perspective. It's you know a player like Stjakis who's often the under twenty three keeper and um, he wouldn't have been able to come over under these regulations. Um you know Thomas Kaminsky who's our first team goalkeeper would have would have got one. Um but you know, we've had 
numerous um, players come into our academy over the years, going back a few years, that, that obviously we've, we have imported, but that won't be happening now. And we don't have any, I don't think, in the system. Maybe uh, Sadi Jalil is yeah. one um, who, who wouldn't have been able to come in under these regulations. So it's interesting. It is going to affect everybody, and we'll see over the long term how it affects kind of in the, the teams. And if it starts affecting the f- first teams badly, then you can expect some kind of um, lobbying going on. Um, but we'll come back to Blackburn now. Um, I asked you before we started that whether you'd seen much of us. Um, obviously, you know, you're based down south, so you don't get up to Leyland very often, I imagine. But you have still seen quite a bit um, of Blackburn in the 23s. Um, tell us your impressions of, of the team, if there's any individuals that you like, or and, and just basically, yeah, just your impressions of the PL2 Rovers team at the moment. Yeah, so I won't lie. I mean, the game, I've, we monitor it. We monitor all the games basically as much or as many as we can. Obviously, that level it depends on either getting someone there or footage. Obviously, match footage. The game I've seen this season was a Leicester game, one or draw. Um, so that's my perspective on it in terms of Blackburn itself. Um, I know I'm aware that you've got a lot of decent talents coming through. So I know, for example, Harry Lennon is one that a lot of people are talking about at this moment in time. Uh, done well quite recently. Um, Sam Burns is one who's kind of a player that. That people are talking about to a certain extent you know he's got some goals at that level and i know that i think at blackburn i think there's i think there's been quite a lot of young talent coming through like you said that they're, they're integrating younger players uh into the 23s to try and give them more experience if you know what i mean so there has been a down there has been a trend of sort of like younger younger players you know um being given opportunities um the likes of uh charlie weston is, an, is a good example so he's played for england under 15s He's meant to be very highly rated and he's started to be integrated. Um, there's a player that I quite like bits of. I've seen of him, Zach, Zach Gilsonen. Um, there's an attacking midfielder who I've seen a couple of times and I quite like him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Sadi as well, the centre-back. Uh, I quite liked him in the game I saw. Don't know exactly what his situation is with the, with the club, but um, he's a player who, you know, can play midfield as well. Um, decent on the ball, decent coming out, of, bringing the ball out, of, out from the back, quite calm, composed. So yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of de- there's, there is some decent talents at Blackburn. I think the, the one good thing about that club is that you you give them opportunities, and that that sometimes can be the difference between making it as a footballer and not making it. If you know what I mean. So, in a, in a weird way, sometimes you know if you were advising if you were advising a player like where to go, you might advocate for Blackburn ahead of maybe bigger sort of names. If you know what I mean, in terms of Premier League names, um, because of the pathway and the potential that they could be fast-tracked by the club into the into the first-team environment because a lot of play, a lot of your players have had first-team exposure. Um, so that that's a, an interesting debate. But, yeah, I mean, the, I suppose the other one that a lot of people talk about is, is Jake Garrett. Um, he's had, obviously, interest from clubs like Manchester United in the past, and I think he signed a long-term deal. So the other thing that probably is quite encouraging for you um, is that a lot of your better players are being tied down pretty well. Yeah. So it does seem that there's a lot of care going into the academy and, and thought about it to get these players tied down and make sure they're not, you know, uh, able to be poached too quickly. So I think you, I think all things considered, your academy is in a pretty healthy state, although, you know, you'll tell me more, but that's my impression of it from the outside and the games I've seen. Yeah, that's good to hear from, from an outside perspective because that's certainly the way it feels to me. Every time I speak to a, a member of staff from the academy or a player from the academy on this podcast, I always leave the conversation feeling very positive about the future of the club. And I think that's obviously a very, very good place to be in. Um, you mentioned Harry Leonard's just signed a contract last week to be tied down to 2025, yeah. um, which obviously is great. And as you say, before the season even started, a lot of the... Um, promising young players sign new deals um, to 2024 mainly um, so they've got they, they know what they're doing at the moment they, they, they're tying down the, the players um, often you'll find with Blackburn it's not even the first or even the second pro deal it's the third one that we can't get them to sign so Ryan Amby at the moment um, it doesn't look like he's going to sign a, a new contract and um, and Joe Rothwell although he didn't come through the academy the same um, trying to get them to sign another pro deal after they break into the first team, but that's that's a that's a problem for a different podcast, not for this one. Um, um, someone as Ash Phillips, you didn't mention Ash, but you may not have seen him, so because he's been injured for the last uh, few weeks. But Stuart Jones revealed um, in the in the podcast in December that he's now training exclusively with the first team, or mm. 
initially with the first team. Obviously, if he's been involved in in 23's games, then he'll come down and train for match days. But um, he's an interesting one, and, and one that I know that um, a lot of clubs have been sniffing around as well. I don't know if you've heard anything about that. I can't say I know too much about him, I'll be honest. Um, he, he's in our report. I mean, obviously, I'll have to dig into it now and go looking for it. But, uh, you know, off the top of my head, I, could, I couldn't really say too much about him. Like you said, he's been injured. Um, didn't play in the games I've seen. But, uh, yeah, I mean, well, well, who would you say is the most promising academy player that you've got? Yeah, I mean, Ash is probably the one. He's been the one name-checked by the gaffer as well. Right. Um, in terms of probably the one with the most talent at this moment. But the thing is, he's only a first-year scholar, but he's come... He's built like he could play professional football right now, even at 16, 17. Yeah. So obviously physicality plays a big part, that, that age especially. Um, and we expect that some of them will grow um, physically. Jake Batty, obviously, he's, he's just recently got England um, 17 honours. Yeah. Um, and he's someone who's playing grassroots until 14, 15. So this is someone who's got a very quick upward curve. I, play, I think he made his own 23's debut this week. Um, we played in the Premier League Cup and won five one against Forest. Um, Harry Leonard getting two goals, and so he's another one um, who's certainly he, he had a long term injury in his first year as a scholar, um, and has come back from it exceptionally well. So yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll provide you with a detailed report. Um, <laughs> nice. I know you, I know you've got a talent for reports. Oh, well, um, and, and then the other one, obviously that you know is a bit older, but Daniel Butterworth is obviously played in the in, you know he's played for the first team and that that. That's a good example of like the pathway that's there. You know, what I mean, if by 21 you're already playing games, at, you know, second tier of English football. That's that's a great example to to other players to maybe stick around the academy. So, um, yeah, I'd say I'd say you're in a pretty decent shape to be honest. And um, certainly, even though the season's not going that well in terms of recent form, it, like I said, it it doesn't necessarily translate that it means that your academy's in a terrible state or whatever. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it is when you look down a level and you see the under-18s, they're currently, um, as we record, at the top of the, the northern section. It's divided by geographical um, position in, in that level. Um, currently top of that league, five points clear of Manchester City, which obviously is always a good place to be in academy football. We know how much they... Um, how much they put into their academy um, at Manchester City. Also Liverpool underneath that, then Man United, and then Middlesbrough, Everton, Leeds, uh, Bulls, all the other northern um, uh, category one academies kind of underneath there. So, you know, I, I don't know how much you get to sit. Obviously, under-18s is a bit more difficult um, in terms of keeping across it. Um, there's not that much footage out there, which I actually agree with. I don't think that people should be seeing that much footage of 16, 17-year-olds playing football. Let them continue their development kind of behind closed doors. Um, but you can still like still get feelings for things, and, and maybe you hear more than I do. But do you know anything about the, the Rovers under-18s or 18s in general? 18 football is hard to cover, like you said, for for reasons, uh, well, various reasons, coverage, uh, COVID as well has meant now that uh, a lot of academies are doing maybe one one parent per per player, or one yeah. entry per player and that kind of thing. So it's, it's been very restricted the last sort of, uh, well, nearly two years now um, because of the pandemic. And and in some cases, that, that's actually played into their hands because there's certain clubs that were named that have done it kind of in a way done it on purpose. And they've yeah. used that as an opportunity to tighten up who they let into the, to the club to scout and things like that. So... Um, yeah, there's a little, obviously at youth football level, there's always a bit of skullduggery going on, and um, you know, that that's maybe one area. So, yeah, we, we don't really tend to cover. I mean, obviously, we'll, we're familiar with all the best players at that level, um, but I wouldn't want to really name drop too many of them because number one, it's really hard to predict at that age. You know, if you're 16 or something like that, I don't like to put too much pressure unnecessarily. Um, and number two, obviously, because we, we keep that information to ourselves to. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as you just said, to... lots of school degree goes on. There's not, I mean, there's people speaking hushed tones when they, yeah, when they talk about that. And I've heard stories. Maybe you have a good story or not. I don't know of um, people turning up to youth games, whether it's 18s, 16s, or whatever, um, asking for a team sheet. And sorry, we don't have any of those. But those, yeah. are not, those aren't available to the likes of you. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and often, often I believe managers even call their players purposely by the wrong name on the pitch, so yeah. that. Their identity is further um, masked. Yeah, there's all kinds, all kinds. I mean, I've I've heard of like managers pra praising the worst player in the post match, you know, to 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 sort of like avoid praising the, the best player, that kind of thing, you know, so that it's sort of throwing a throwing a bit of a misdirection. 
But um, I mean, on the point about recording and footage, I, I do think I agree with you that it's it's good that it's not, you know, it's probably one of the last vestiges of kind of football coverage where it's not widely covered. I do think PL2 could benefit from better coverage, maybe potentially. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but that's, that's, I suppose that's a different conversation. But uh, under 18, obviously, you've got, you've got safeguarding issues to think about as well, you know, their minors permission, that kind of thing. So I do think it's it's good. You know, you do have some sort of, you do have kind of social media accounts that try and big it up. But I always think that, although it does have some value to a certain extent, you do also have to question, you know, the amount of hype you put on a 14-year-old. Or I mean, even you might have even seen the, you know, the, what was it, the player that signed for Arsenal at six or whatever that was getting, went viral the other day. And it's, you know, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. So you do have to have a little bit, you have to be a bit careful about it. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and uh, you know, I, I've certainly not wouldn't be one to be promoting um, the young people um, in the public eye. I don't think that's generally that healthy for them. Um, and sometimes it's you know it's parents. It's sometimes it's the kid itself, and and you know you can't control that. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think you know keep keep it as it is in terms of very little coverage um out there still you know we get the information that we need from reliable sources in terms of the staff from the academy and and the lads themselves and you know fa youth cup is slightly different you know that's obviously a prestigious young tournament and we already talked about colchester and arsenal and the excitement that that can bring um for the academy and, and then that's absolutely fine um but yeah yeah, the less the, the the less coverage around that, the better. Um, we we mentioned briefly. We'll just we'll just talk about a couple of other topics just before we let you go. Um, the Training Ground Guru Academy ratings came out recently, which is an independent look at um, how productive the academies are. And Man United at the top of that list, and it looks at all the different Category 1, Category 2, Category 3 academies. Blackburn, I think we're 23rd. I don't even know myself. And, you know, we don't really know how... I know how they were formulated in terms of like five points if you produce a Premier League player, four points for like a championship player and so on and so forth. Um, I know you've not dug into it yourself either and, and we haven't got copies of it um, to, to dig through, but um, how helpful do you think those ratings are and do you think it's good that they're out there and give some accountability and maybe some information to, to fans that, that wouldn't have got it any other way? Yeah, I think it's good and. I can't, you know, you'll forgive me for not being able to comment too much on it because I haven't, haven't, haven't had a chance to read the report yet. So it's difficult for me to really, really talk about that specifically. But in terms of kind of academy rankings and that kind of thing, I do think that there's, um, I do think there's a value in it, just for an industry-wide kind of metric of how how academies are, are doing. You know, again, it comes back to what's the aim of the academy because you know. Manchester United are number one because they produce the most amount of players, I believe, and in general for not necessarily their own first team, but also throughout the pyramid. Um, and that's pretty much why I imagine they're number one and, and obviously their long-standing history of, 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 you know, I think it's 84 years they've had an academy player in their first team squad consecutively, which is unbelievable. I think it's that. might be wrong, but I think it's something like that. Yeah. Um, so there is, a, there is definitely a value to it, I think. And I think anything that can increase the accountability is, is a good thing because obviously the clubs who are going to be lower ranked may, you know, I don't know how seriously they'll take it, but at least it's kind of out there to know that the level of players they're producing, that, that can help parents when making decisions, that can help people, you know, players themselves when making decisions. So, yeah, I think there's a level of account, um, accountability there that, that's useful. You know, in terms of the report that we produced, that's, that's kind of partly the aim of it as well is to make sure that there's a level of, you know, there's a level of, knowledge of these players once they leave because that you know every single year there's a, you know there's hundreds of players who get released from you know i think we, we had it as around 35 percent of players released from academies last season you know just in one year so year on year there's, there's so many players leaving clubs and where they end up is important to know because you, you don't want too many falling out of the game and, and that creates a question if if there are too many falling out of the game were were they of the level in the first place were they kept on too long you know were was there a fair pathway for them? Have they been let down by X, Y, and Z? You know, it might be their own entourage, might be reasons we don't know. So, and also then in the sense of maybe trying to help them back back to a level where they can play at a level that they're comfortable with. So I think anything that can help that and increase the accountability is definitely useful. I wouldn't be able to comment on like Blackburn standing in, in 23rd. I don't know if that's like good or bad. So it's really hard for me to say on that one. But um, all in all, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the report if I, if I can get hold of it. So, yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Me too. And, you know, just to give some people some background on it, I was on the day, the training ground guru guys did a day on youth development recently and, and I logged into that and just some background on the, on the rate, on the ratings. I believe they were done in the first place by a parent who didn't really know when they were choosing a club for the, well, they had a few offers for the, for the son, um, which academy they should choose and why. So getting some kind of like independent verification that academy does produce players, whatever level that may be, then then that can be a positive thing. I do think there are some I do think there are some flaws in, in the way that they produce the data and and the way that they calculate certain things. But you know it's good and anything's better than nothing, I guess in, in my opinion. And your report and you know the the TGG report are, are helpful guides for, for people who might not have information that a lot of people have on the inside. And when you don't have that information, you can easily be sweet talked into things that you may not believe that, that turn out not to be true. And for those of you people that have read Michael Calvin's book on, on youth football, um, no, I can't remember what it is now, No Paradise. And I've got it in my, on my bookshelf somewhere. Um, but um, certainly read the, uh, just google michael calvin and, and youth development and you'll see um it's certainly no picnic in, in some places although i do believe that it is getting better um just the last couple of questions then before i let you go mate if that's okay um you know we've already talked about category one academies in terms of the number of them that there are i just want to delve into that a little bit more do you think now how many are we at 33 34 something like that is that too many now that are in category one or is, or is it actually a good thing that we've got so many um, academies that are attaining that status? It's a good question, actually, how many is too many? I mean, I think I think the obviously cat one signifies certain levels of standards. You know, you need a certain allocation of coaches. You need a certain allocation of uh, on fit on pitch training time. And there's there's, uh, there's various other criteria to, to, to get to that level. So I suppose from the one side, you could argue that the more Cat One academies, the the better. Yeah. Um, the problem is then that, that what's the impact of that on lower academy, lower tier academies? Because obviously, it means that under E Triple P, there there is it's easier to be poached. You know, one of I think Crystal Palace, for example, I think one of their biggest issues was that, you know, as a lower tier level academy, that they were they could easily be poached for fixed amounts, and and they were losing players to to other London clubs, if you know what I mean. So. Um, that now that cat one status allows them to not be poached for you know the way it was in the past. So I do think from that point of view, in terms of contact time, in terms of the level of coaching, that that's that's a positive. And when you look at each of P in terms of the success of English football, you have to say that you know for all the criticism it can get, English football, English youth football has probably never been in a better place. So I do think that um, all, on, all on balance, it's probably probably been to the benefit. Maybe the clubs might argue differently, especially lower down, you know, Cat 2, Cat 3, because, you know, we've seen clubs have to close their academies. Brentford have gone through a different model. Huddersfield have gone through a different model. And and that, you know, so there are questions about what's the point of keeping an academy if you're in a catchment area uh, where there's so much competition and you can lose players for, you know, tribunal fees, you know, five figures or, you know, six figures is that kind of thing. So when you put a lot of effort into those play developing those players, so that that's probably the, the downside of it. Um, I don't think there's too many. Well, I don't think there's a. I don't think there's too many or too little. If that makes sense, it's just kind of is what it is. It means that the clubs are investing to to put money into it to to get them to that level. I think the just the important thing is that there's, for me, I think there does still need to be safeguarding of kind of player value for the clubs that are maybe lower down to make yeah. sure that we don't lose too many more academies who who kind of come to the brink for conclusion that you know this isn't actually worth our time. Let's just pick people up at sixteen. Because um, you can question, is it is you know is is recruiting people to your academy at nine two is that too young? But I don't think you can question kind of you know if you're starting a recruiting at sixteen, then you're losing a lot of years there. You know where players might be lost to the game if that makes sense. So as long as the balance there remains okay, then I, I think it's a uh, I think I don't think it's too much of a problem. Yeah, I don't forget anyone's out there going to pretend that E-Triple-P is perfect and, and hasn't had its problems. I think definitely the one you highlight there about losing your players for a nominal fee is has been a problem um, and continues to probably to be so. Um, but it is, it is good that so many young players are getting such good, um, you know, con concentrated development and, and, and plans put in place for them um, to become better 
footballers, yes, but also hopefully, you know, giving them a structure or giving them some kind of life skills on the, on the side of that, that that allows them to go out and do whatever they, they want to do in terms of if it's not football, then something else. And the number of people that I've spoken to from Blackburn Academy, I'm hoping that they all seem to be taking that very seriously and and producing good people is, is part of the philosophy of the of the academy. So um along may that continue and I think that's probably the same for most category one clubs. So yeah, that's I mean there's so many things that we've just kind of only touched upon in this podcast that I know that we could, you know, we could go on talking about forever, but um that would bore everybody apart from us, uh, probably. <laughs> so um we maybe we'll pick that up if there's been if there's demand um off the back of this one and we'll we'll, we'll come back for another one. But Jonathan, it's been fantastic talking to you um, as an outsider and getting getting your perspective on on all things youth development. Um what are you going to go off and, and, and see this weekend? Do you know? Have you got plans in place? Uh, I will be at a non-league game in step three, watching a 17-year-old who's meant to be quite highly rated. So that's about as much as I can say on it. But um, yeah, that's, I think that's my plan as long as COVID doesn't get it cancelled or whatever. Oh, well, I mean, by the time if, if by the time this goes out, we're all <laughs> under lockdown again. I'm going to be so upset. Blackburn are um, welcome to call me if they want information about him, but... Uh... <laughs> I'm not sure if they'll need it. They'll need it, but um, yeah, that, that'll be my own this weekend. There's, um, I think at this moment in time, there's a lot of weirdly enough. I've seen this season. There's a lot of young players getting first team football at 16, 17, 18 in, in non-league. Uh, so yeah, that's an interesting trend. Um, and obviously, our, our job is to kind of know who, who the best ones are, really. And, and, and so yeah, that's where I'll be probably. I'm just hoping it's above five degrees. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Whereas, so what one of those many hats that you that you wear <laughs> might come in handy if it's uh, yeah, yeah. I'll take um, all of them exactly I take all of them where <laughs> more. Um, thank you again for your time and hopefully we'll get to see you again soon thank you very much for having me the Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by sixyardsout.com they've got retro football from every era with mugs phone cases and much more they also have plenty of Rovers goods, including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below. Just when I finish my to-do list... We need more chips, Mom! Honey, I need a lot of chicken. Something else comes up. That's when I use Instacart to help get everything we need from BJ's Wholesale Club, delivered right to our door in as fast as one hour. And then finally I can relax. Mom, I think we're out of toilet paper. Time for another BJ's order. Download the Instacart app or visit instacart.com to get $10 off your first order using the code BJ's Wholesale 10. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $35. Additional terms apply.